You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. Focal passage is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, And so you believed. This is God's word. You all can be seated. What a joy to sing and pray as one in Christ. And at this time to sit under the word as disciples of Jesus. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. And I'm the one that gets to do this more often than not. Uh think, love, serve. Three words that I have said in my life, I don't know, a thousand times. Uh, Every time that I drop the kids off for school, um, for for at least the first few years of their life, these are the last things that I would tell them. Think, love, serve. Uh, And I I think I did that to kind of give them some pillars to stand on, like um, but really, it was a defense mechanism for me as I sent first my son and then a year later my daughter into kindergarten and knowing like, oh, they're just kids, you know, and all those things. And, and there's this, this five-year-old tiny human uh, without mom and dad kind of for the first time and kind of on their own doing their thing and they're, they're fragile and there's this big sea of opportunity and obstacle and destruction, you know, in front of them. You know, and, and so for me, I, I just wanted to give them something. There's lots of harm that can happen. There's lots that they can build their life on that, that are not the things that they should be building their life on. And so I say, think, love, serve. Eventually it became just like as they get out of the car, just, you know what I'm saying? And, and so uh, here's the thing. Parents remind their kids of, of lots of things. And some of those things are practical, and some are just simple encouragements, and some instruct, and some build up. And, and all kids roll their eyes. Universal, I think. But some reminders are bigger than, than kind of just, you know, don't forget your book bag or, or don't walk while you're looking at a screen. Some reminders are the foundation of life. Like, why do we need reminders? Why, why do tech companies think it's so important that I can talk to my phone 
and tell it to remind me something when I get to work and, and when I get home and, and set tasks that remind me and alert me. And, and I wake up with a reminder every day, an alarm clock that just reminds me just to wake up, right? Why do we have all of those things in place? Because we, uh, we are forgetful. Because people are forgetters. They, they, we are all people who forget. We are forgetful people. And that's why when we get into a car, once we start moving, it reminds us to put on the seatbelt by, by having an, an alarm go off. And that's why when we're uh, about to run out of gas, we have the flashing light tell us, hey, here's a reminder that you can't go for, you, you have not mastered renewable energy, right? You have to put gas in the thing and, and you find yourself on the side of the road if you don't. I've done that. Um, when we forget reminders about important things, we can find ourselves failing things most important. And this is even true for, for those who are in this room who, who build their life upon the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, the one that we have sang about and, and prayed to and, and pleaded with even already this morning. And I know this room shares all sorts of diversity around these things, and, and, and we meet these truths in different places, and that's okay. That is totally okay that, that we don't all see Jesus the same way today, all right? Um, but it's Easter, and, and here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about Jesus just like we do every other time that we meet. And we're going to open up the scriptures just like we do every other time that we meet. And so if you thought you were going to get like juked today by something other than Jesus, you, you thought wrong, all right? So, so I want to remind you and, and, and maybe for some of you to tell you for the first time of first things, a reminder of news that, that really does build the foundation of life. When I was... 16 years old, my then-girlfriend, now wife, and my best friend, we were at my parents' house, and it was snowy, and, and they have a, a creek in their backyard, I mean, it was, it was my backyard at the time, you know, and so we were hanging out in my backyard, and we were walking on the creek, you can't do that, like one did, but that wasn't you, can't walk on the creek unless it's frozen, and it was frozen, all right, and the creek's not super deep, it's like maybe a, you know, a, a foot, two feet deep, or whatever, and so we're walking on it tenderly, trying to find sure footing on the ice, and my friend's foot went through. And it was, it was, it was comical in like a cartoon way. Like, um, it, it broke through, and you heard like a, and it was like, you know, oh no, like this is, this is happening. And then like, he, he moved his left foot, and it just went straight through. And at that point, he's like, just like, He's trying to find firm footing that he won't slip on that also doesn't uh, leave him completely soaked and, and saturated, all right? And so it's step, 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 all, like breaking through until, I kid you not, <laughs> Kim's laughing because she was the only one that was there. His feet, not a joke, went over his head and he landed on his rear and he went into the water and it and he was completely soaked. He had like his license that he just recently got in his back pocket. It broke his license in half, all right? And it was just right on the cusp of like, is this serious enough to where you don't laugh until later? Or is this like, is this like you laugh now and then you, and so it was, it was just on the line. And we were like dying, ah! you know, dying laughing. And then we're like, but seriously, bro, like, are you okay? Like, and it was, ah, you know, injury, whatever. 
Jesus tells a similar story. In Matthew, he, he talks of two people. Two builders, and they build them their, their houses, and one builds it upon the rock. And, and, the, and the winds blow, and the rain falls, and there's kind of like this big bad wolf, like huffing and puffing of the weather. And like, he basically says, like, you might lose some shingles, and, and maybe you get a busted window, but look, the, the, the builder who builds his house upon the rock, it doesn't go anywhere, right? It weathered the storm, but the other builder, the one who builds his house upon the sand, on, on not the firm foundation of this life, the wind blows and the rain falls, and the house falls, and great is its fall. And so he says, look, you can do one of two things in this life. You have two options. You can build your life upon the rock, and that rock is me, Jesus. Or you can build upon literally anything else. And if you don't build upon me, you're building on something that will leave you wet and, and broken and weathered, and you will have no foundation on which to stand. Look, we can know and we can hear and we can prioritize lots of things in our life and we can establish ourselves on what we do. We're really good at that. We can establish ourselves on what has been done to us as our primary kind of like foundation of life. We can establish ourselves on our past, both good or, or bad, or on our, our bank accounts, or on our social status, or our friendships, or our lack of any of those things. Today, I would remind you of the first thing, the greatest news as the foundation of life. Remember that Christ lives and receive the victory of grace on which we stand. So this focal passage that, that uh, Pastor Adam read just a few minutes ago, it comes from a guy called Paul, and he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth, and these people were dear to him. He was a church planter, right? God called him to be an apostle, and he was kind of like uh, establishing himself as, as a, mes uh, a messenger of God in a way that like we can't do. He's like literally uh, writing the Bible, right, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's planting churches, and he, he gathers God's people together, and he, he, he uh, establishes them in, in, um, in leadership, and then he moves on, and he does it again. And so he's been away from this church for about 18 months, 18 to 24 months, and he's writing them just to remind them of first things. And, and he's dealing with lots of stuff, but in chapter 15, he begins to kind of wind down, and he begins to, to remind them of, of first things. And, and this is really important. He's writing to the church. Like a lot of times we think that this thing that we're talking about today, Jesus, is about um, it, it gets us into the church, but then we, we get beyond that. This is the most important thing for the rest of your life. This news that he reminds them of. And so this is what he reminds them of. He said, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he says, I remind you of first things, the most important news on which we can build the news that I preached to you. And this tells us something. It tells us that this gospel, this good news is words. The gospel is words. The foundation of your life is, is words. 
It's something that we get to declare. It's good news to be shared. And I think about it like a, an Amazon delivery, and it's like a priority package. And Paul's saying, like, remember these things? Remember what I, I, I shared with you? Remember what I delivered to you? And then he tells them the second thing. Remember this news that, that I delivered to you and I laid on your porch? And remember you received it. Remember the news that you received? That, that you couldn't just look at it and let it sit on your porch, but you had to sign for it and you had to pick it up and you had to take it in your home? Remember this news? This news on which you stand. The foundation of your life. When, when all of life feels like sand and ice, this is the, the bedrock of your life. It's foundation for, for a footing of life. And this news by which you are being saved. There's a ton implied in that. But, but he's told them a ton of stuff up to this point in this long letter. But, but he says you're being saved from, from yourself and from sin and from Satan and from judgment and from hell and the grave. Look, there's no other news that delivers like that news. So, so what then is the news? What, what, what is it that, that's so powerful that it can do all of these things? And this is what he reminds them, and this is what I just want to remind you of today. And, and it goes like this. The first thing is this. Christ died for our sin. And, and by his death, we are forgiven. And so he goes on, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. There's a story told uh, that, that in the early 1900s, the Times of London, at, at one point, they ran this question in the paper, and that they asked several prominent authors, What's wrong with the world today? And now, like, I ask that literally every day. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with this person? Like, what is, right? And then when you, like, look and you, you examine the culture in which we live, you, you just think, what, what is wrong with, what is wrong with the world today? It's like a timeless question. And um, well-known theologian, author G.K. Chesterton is said to have responded with a one-sentence essay. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. See, I can't tell you how much freedom there is in those two words. Like, what's wrong? Why does everything feel broken? And why is it, what, what is wrong with, I am. When we start there, we have the freedom to walk in this good news that I'm going to paint out over the next few minutes in a way that you can't even fathom it. And God puts his love on display by offering himself as payment for sin. The gospel doesn't begin here with Jesus dying for our sin. It begins with creation and a God building things his way and things that were good and, and by our sin, just a few chapters into the, the story of God and the scriptures, we break that creation but, but God gives a promise that he's going to restore it. And in Christ, he sends the rescuer to do what we could not do. In Christ, God accomplished many things, but by his death, he makes a way for us to be near 
to him. It is the rescue. It's, it's justice for sin and it's love through sacrifice and it's Christ. He is the only one positioned to bridge the gap between the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of man. Or as, as Caitlin said last week in her baptism testimony video, she said, Jesus is my strength and refuge and I'm so thankful that I have a Savior who took up the cross for me and for you. The second thing is this, Christ was buried with our sin. Like we forget that and we just skim over that. Like Christ died and he rose and that was it, right? <clears throat> he died and he was buried and, and there are two things uh, of first importance that, that help us with this, right? T two significant reasons why this matters. And, and, and the first one is this. There were some Gnostics and even some Greeks who thought that Jesus was like merely a spirit. Like, like, he, like he, he showed up, but he wasn't real. And so Paul is telling them he, he's not some immaterial being. He came as a, as a man, fully God and fully man in every way. And I don't know much about spirits, but I know they're tough to bury whether they're dead or alive. And so that's what Paul's saying. Paul includes this to affirm that Christ was really dead, like really, really dead. And, and he, was, he was dead, dead, and he was buried. And the second thing that we get from this is, is when he was buried, he took the sin of all who trust in his death to the grave. He took your sin and he was buried with it. In the Old Testament, in the temple sacrificial system, there was a priest who, who throughout the year would stand before the people and he would acknowledge the sin of the nation of Israel. And he would have before him a spotless lamb, perfect, like a hand-picked lamb. <clears throat> and he would, he would kill the lamb, and by its blood, God's judgment for the sin of his people was atoned for, right? And then he would, he would send another one, a goat or, or a ram, out into the wilderness and would run off and, until they couldn't see it anymore. And, and the idea was that it was taking the sin that, that God uh, had, had got his judgment for temporarily through the lamb, and then he would let the other thing go, uh, the goat, and it was the scapegoat for their sin, taking their sin as far away as the east is from the west. Jesus is the sacrifice, and he is the scapegoat. He died, and his blood covers your sins, not something that you have to do over and over again like the days of old, but once and for all. And he is the scapegoat because he took our sins and he was buried with them. He was dead, dead. So just sit in that for a second. Christ died. He was buried. He, he took our sin. Imagine the people who were following Jesus. And, and they thought by this point that he was the long-awaited hope. And they saw him do miracles. And, and they saw him forgive sins. All right? Jesus, uh, uh, at, in several instances, he says, your sins are forgiven. And they said, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus was like, right. That's my point. But here's the thing. It's as if he was giving like an, an IOU to the Father. Saying, look, right now, they deserve your justice. But 
but as you're patient with them, I will take it for them. This Jesus who, who they saw heal people, miracle worker, even the skeptics kind of tilted their heads and said, is this guy for real? And, and so they cry out, take yourself down off of the cross, overcome the world. If, if you're the king of the Jews, deliver your people, deliver yourself. And you know what they heard? Crickets. Can you imagine all your hope? These people, some had followed him for, for three years. They uprooted their life. They followed him. They saw him do things that they couldn't even imagine. And you're, they're literally waiting. Jesus, come down. The night settles in. At some point, you have to go home. They walked away. Jesus, dead. But, you know, the story doesn't end there. And this takes us to the third thing. There are like 58. I won't tell you how many. How many? Just keep hanging on, all right? The third thing is this. Christ was raised to overcome sin. He, he, was, he died for our sin. He was buried with our sin. He was raised to overcome sin. And all this is just what Paul's saying in this little stretch. For I deliver to you as of first importance that Christ died, that he was buried according to the scriptures, that he was uh, raised on the third day. You know in movies where like the good person dies and you're like, hold up. You're like waiting for like a breath. You're waiting for like the, the eye to flicker. You're waiting for something. It doesn't happen. They, they, they walk away. You have to wait for the sequel. And, and then three days later, a couple women go to take care of his, his body to mourn, and they encounter in front in, in this you know, cemetery, if you will, a couple angels, and this is what the angels say to them in Luke 24. Why do you seek the living among the dead? You're coming to a tomb as if you're, who are you looking, I'm sorry, who, these are angels, and they're frightened, and the angels are like, I'm sorry, who is it you're looking for? Well, we're looking for Jesus, but why'd you come here to this tomb? This is where dead people are. And they're like, yeah. And, and the angels are like, but he's, but he, but he's not dead. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And it says, and they remembered. Oh, yeah, I do remember him saying something about that. And they're like, well, he did. Like, he's gone. He's not here. It is this resurrection that Jesus overcomes death. And, and there are a million things that, that this does for us, but, but there are just a few things. One, it's, it's validation. The real person who claimed to be God, who said that he would raise from the grave, he did. And this validates the rest of his life and, and all that he taught and all that he promised. Like the promise that you would be forgiven of your sins. And if he just died, there's no hope. Like the promise that they would be with him one day. The promise that he was the one that would rescue them from their sin. That, that, that he might bring them into a relationship with God. It's validation that everything that he said was true. And, and, and another thing, it's, it's power. Jesus has supreme and ultimate power to overcome any adversary, including death, just as he said. He is indeed victorious, and he has indeed overcome this world. He won, and by faith in him alone, we win. 
which, which this is another thing that the resurrection of Jesus allows us to see. It's an invitation that by his victory, all who are with him by faith alone are brought into the same work, the same victory, the same power of the Spirit to overcome sin and death and wrath and this world. And so that means that nothing can stop you from living a life pleasing to God, not even yourself. Nothing can break God's love for you. Nothing, nothing can break your delight in Him. And so when death knocks at the door, all it gets is our flesh but for a moment. And then we join His resurrection. And death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Is what he writes later on in this chapter. But it doesn't end there. He tells us a fourth thing. This is the fourth thing, right? And now we're in verse uh, 5, all right? And, and so, so he was raised in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, the, the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So what Paul's saying is, in the likely case, in the, in the likely case that you don't believe me, Ask around, because I'm not the only one that's making this claim. All right, I'm not the only one that saw him. I'm not the only one that he appeared to or before. He appeared to, to real men and women. In fact, James, he's kind of at mentioned here in this, this passage of Scripture, uh, he thought his half-brother Jesus was insane. And, and then he thought he died, and he was still insane. Until he rose from the dead. And then James be became one of the, the, the leaders in the local church at Jerusalem. He, he actually wrote uh, a letter in the scriptures. Right? God used him in a mighty way. And what was it that transformed him? Not only did these men and women see Jesus, but they followed him and they continued to uh, the mission even unto death. Okay, so, so we have all the content of this news. Right, A reminder of the foundation on which they stand and, and today on which we stand. And Paul says, I preached and you received. And this is the foundation on which you stand and, and, and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast unless you didn't receive it, unless you didn't sign for the package and bring that news into your home. And he says Christ, was, Christ died and he was buried and he was raised and he appeared. Well, what does all this have to do with Paul and the Corinthians and the church at large and us in this room and me and you in your living room or wherever you are? Why is this news so important that Paul would say, remember, it, this is the most important thing? Because, because when we remember that Christ lives, then we receive the victory of grace on which we stand. Like if you've ever built a house of cards, you know how easily it topples. What, what Paul's saying, th this is what we do when we build our life on any other foundation than this news. And so easily, not only do we build our life on that foundation, but we try to build our life with God 
on any other foundation apart from this news. The best thing about this best news is that it has the power to change. That this news that that Paul shared, that Jesus lived, that, that I share, that you share with one another, it transforms. This changes the restless and the wearied hearts and the hopeless wander and those who build on sand and those that live for sin and they oppose God. And those that that try to earn God by anything that they could offer in their good works, their good merit. And those who don't acknowledge him at all. And those who hear this news and they just wish that it was true. This gospel that Paul reminds us of, it's not instruction. It is not a way to live. It is not do the things And as you do the things, that is the foundation on which you live. It's it's news. It is information that changes everything. Which leads us to the last thing. Christ is the foundation of grace on which we stand. See, there's so much of this that Paul's talking about, that, that Jesus came to do, that has kind of universal impact. That, that like it seems it's so big, it's just like cosmic in nature. It's bigger than any one person or civilization or, or bigger than any time period throughout all of history. And that's true. It is. But Paul lets the, the, the readers of his letter, and he lets us, us in this room today, He lets us know that it doesn't stay there out in the cosmos, but he brings this news all the way home, and he he lets it sit with us like in the car on the way home. He points to kind of two ditches, two errors that all people drift towards in their relationship with God, whether you know... You've known this information that that I'm sharing today, or you haven't, and, and the two ditches are this. That you're too bad to deserve him, or that you're too good to need him. Paul goes on in verse 8, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And then we, we get a little insight of who Paul is and what he struggles with. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. See, Paul's story, if you don't know, like he would, to have fun on the weekends, Paul would go out and he would like be a bounty hunter, killing and wrangling up Christians. This guy who's writing this letter. It's reminding them of this good news. That's, that's telling him that he is an apostle by the authority of God. He said, but I'm, I am in my flesh completely unworthy. And you might sit with that. You might sit with Paul in that, that you're too bad to deserve this grace. You may find yourself actively opposing God. Or you may look at kind of the track record of your life and you say it's impossible. But I, I, I think Paul is probably worse than you. But that doesn't matter. Whatever you've done, 
what this tells us is, um, is, is this right here is in, incredibly bad news that, that God will demand justice for your sin and, and your sin will be paid for by you or it will be paid for by Christ on the cross. And, and what this tells us is, is the well of grace is so deep that no amount of sin could run it dry. Right? You are not too bad to deserve him. And, and then the other error, that you're too good to need him. And, and Paul goes on in verse 10 and 11, and he says, Man, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, than any of the other apostles. I worked harder, though it was not I, but it was the grace of God. On which... I stand. So for you who, who might think that it's your good works that will do it for you before the Lord, it will not. Paul is validating his title of apostle at, at the foundation of the church, and he's contrasting how bad he was and then now how hard he has worked. And so he says this line that transforms his identity from opponent or from self-righteous to this delightful servant. And this is the line that he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And it seems to me like, like he's writing that, and, and it's almost like, like a Superman pose, you know? Like it's just this incredible confidence, and you can just see him like puffing his chest out like, but look, but look at me. Like, I've done it all. I've been the worst of the worst, and I've been the best of the best, and none of it is a foundation on which I can stand. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And in that, there's this humble confidence. It's not for, not for Paul's strength that he stands, but it's confidence in his weakness. On what would you claim this reward? On what would you say, I am that I am, with humble confidence? Would you say, look at how hard I've worked, and look at all that I possess. Look at all the good things that I do. Look at all the good things that I've done. Or would you turn the other way and say, I am no one. I don't have any value. Other people, they, they boast about how great they are. I, I've, I've done nothing with my hands. Everything I touch falls apart. I'm broken inside and out. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul has done both. He's been high and he's been low. And what he says is, is nothing but Christ can be the foundation of your life. Paul Tripp, he, he kind of sums this up. He says, the humbling core message of Christianity is that salvation is never found in your religious duty. Every other religion tells you that there are things that you can do to achieve acceptance with God. The Christian hope is found in the radical things that God in love has done for you. I just want to say that one more time. The Christian hope is found in the radical things that God in love has done for you. And everything that you might do in response, it's bonus. It means nothing about the foundation on which you stand before God.
So he goes on, he says, you will never celebrate the good news of the resurrection unless you accept the bad news of why it was necessary. Jesus rose to conquer sin and death because we cannot defeat sin and death on our own. And because he has risen, we get to establish ourselves, our whole lives with him on his grace that he gives. It is, it is this gospel news on which we stand, whether you're heading into kindergarten and you don't know what's before you, and there's lots of places that that could go wrong, and innocent as we might be, or you're laying on your deathbed, wearied as we might be, or anywhere in between. Our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but we belong to him by the finished work of Jesus. <clears throat> Think, love, serve. There's so much more in those words. Those were some pillars for my, my five-year-old son and daughter to take with them. But, but over time, think, guys, when you go into school today, just, can you just think? Just be aware of what's going on around you. Don't get so caught up and, and getting in trouble or, or, or doing everything perfectly that you forget that, that there are things happening outside of you. And, and when you remember this love, when you think of the word love, remember that you were first loved by, by God because of the work of Jesus. And look, whether you have all the friends in this classroom or you have no friends at all, know that your mom and dad love you. And man, when you can sit right there, five-year-old or 500-year-old, know that you get to serve out of a place that isn't proving anything. You get to be a good friend. You get to be a good student. You don't have to be destroyed when things don't go your way. You don't have to be puffed up and arrogant when they do. Those are just some silly words that, that I shared. And what Paul's saying, he's giving them some pillars on which they can build their life. And there's so much more in all of it that Jesus died for your sin. That he was buried, that he was dead, dead, and he took your sin far away. But it didn't end there that he raised in glory to defeat all things broken. And he appeared, he showed up, and I saw him with my own eyes. So he invites us into the fullness of life. The band can come on up. Man, as they're doing that, just, just three really quick things that I won't even tease out. So what? Of all that, so what? Man, we are brought into the fullness of life with God today by faith and confidence and trust and this grace that he offers us. We are brought into the fullness of life with God's people. Not just someday in the future, but, but today we get to live life with God's people and we get to be on display in the way that we love one another, putting God's glory on display to the world around us. And one day we get to live with God and his people in the fullness of life forever. He has risen indeed. So we get to respond today and you can sit right where you are. 
You can stand up and sing. You can pray over there. There's a prayer bench. You can sit and pray. There's a prayer bench over there. There's somebody over by that red tree that would love to pray with you. My wife and I will be back um, at the end of that aisle way, and we would love to pray with you. And if you want, if you are in Christ, right, you get to respond by taking communion, uh, the, the cup and, and the wafer that represents the blood that was spilled for us and the body that was broken for us. You're welcome to do that. If you're not in Christ today, that's not for you, but we are for you. We would love to talk with you about what that might look like. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you sent your son, and, and Jesus, thank you that, that you willingly went to lay down your life, and you didn't stay there, but you busted open the grave, and you showed us that you are the one, you are the pillar, you are the foundation on which we stand. Would you let us remember that you live, and would you let us walk in the victory of grace on which we stand now and forever? In Jesus' name, amen.